The Passion of Our Blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from St. Mark's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Very early in the morning, the chief priest, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Barabbas, who was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowds to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. God's grace and his mercy and his peace be yours in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text for this evening, as we continue in examining the wounds of Lent, is from Psalm 22, Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. And also from John 19, verse 18, there they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. 
Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the feet of a man save Greece. The first two decades of the 5th century B.C. mark one of the greatest turning points in history. These were the years of the Persian and Greek wars. The powerful Persian Empire in 1546 extended from Western Asia to Egypt. This great empire built, which I didn't know until I found out, the first Suez Canal, which linked the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea. Greece, on the other hand, was a collection of independent city-states. And it was these early city-states that spawned the idea of democracy, which has moved into modern times and of which which we have received benefit from it. Athens became, later on, the leader and most prosperous. There was another Greek city-state. It's not in East Lansing. This one's called Sparta. It was not so democratic. Sparta was ruled by kings and maintained their conservative, regimented society built around military training and war. Okay, war, it came. The Persian Empire over the years expanded to the Mediterranean Sea. And in the process, some Greek settlements were conquered. Ionia, not the one east of us, was conquered in such fashion. After many years, the Greeks tried to revolt against the Persians, but the uprising was immediately squashed by that powerful Persian army. By the year 490 BC, the Persian army was ready to expand territory and move into Europe. They landed a huge expeditionary force just outside Athens on the plains of Marathon and prepared to attack. Now, you want to remember a name here, Pheidippides. Can you say it with me? Pheidippides. The Athenians, vastly outnumbered, desperately needed the help of Sparta to help them fend off the Persians. Time was precious. So the Athenian generals sent Pheidippides, a professional runner, to Sparta to ask for help. That was a 140-mile run for him. It was mountainous and rugged. He ran that in about 36 hours. The Spartans said... We'll help, but we cannot go until noon because of religious laws. And so the Athenians had to fend on their own. Pheidippides ran back to Athens. How many miles? Another 140 with the disappointing news. Immediately, that small Athenian army, including Pheidippides, marched into the plains of Marathon to prepare for battle. The Athenians were outnumbered 
four to one, but they launched a surprise offensive thrust which at times seemed suicidal. By the day's end, 6,400 Persian soldiers lay dead, and the Athenians only lost 192. The surviving Persians fled to the sea and headed south to Athens, where they would attack the city before the Spartans could come. Pheidippides was again called to run the 26 miles to Athens to carry the news of the victory and warn them, the Persians are coming, the Persians are coming. And despite the fatigue, running 140 miles, then coming back and running another 440 miles, plus being in the battle at Marathon, he pushed himself beyond normal limits of endurance and he reached Athens with the message and then died from exhaustion. Sparta and the other Greek city-states eventually came to the aid of Athens and ultimately they were able to conquer, uh, stop the Persian onslaught. But Pheidippides is remembered as a man who saved Greece. How do people use their feet? When you read Genesis, you get the impression that Adam and Eve customarily walked with God in the cool of the day, but then there came that day when they ate that forbidden fruit and they were expelled from the garden. But before they were expelled, they already used their feet not to walk to God and confess their sins, but to go away from, walk away from God and hide. Theologian and poet Martin Franzman captured this in the hymn that he wrote, In Adam We Have All Been One. In Adam we have all been one, one huge rebellious man. We all have fled that evening voice that sought us as we ran. We fled our God, and fleeing him we lost our brother too. Each singly sought and claimed his own, each man his brother slew. Sin contaminates us from head to foot, inside and outside. And so when Moses came to the burning bush, the Lord reminded Moses of his sin by telling him, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for you are standing on holy ground. There's another fascinating episode with Joshua and the children of Israel before they came to Jericho. I'll read this fascinating account from Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing there before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you against us? 
And he said, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell with his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now note these words. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, if that's true, with heroes of the faith, like Moses and Joshua, how much more is it true of us that we are contaminated by sin? People use their feet for unholy, sinful purposes. The writer of the book of Proverbs warns in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 15, My son... Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to do evil, and they make haste to shed blood. And the prophet Isaiah laments in Isaiah 59, verse 7, Their feet run to do evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, Desolation and destruction are in their highways. And because of sin, the anger and judgment of God comes. In the Bible, God says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, Hands that are quick to shed blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. And feet that make haste to run to evil. Sin is serious. Sin is deadly. Remember what Jesus said as he uses hyperbole and he says if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out and cast it away. If your hand causes you to sin cut it off. If your feet cause you to sin cut them off for it's better for you to enter life crippled than to be thrown into the lake of fire. We have holy, unholy, sinful feet. Will cutting them off stop us from sinning? No. Will using our feet to do good works make satisfaction for the wrongs that we have done? No. Will we be able to walk into heaven in such a condition? No. But there is one with holy feet who came and walked among us. Jesus, the holy son of God. He walked up and down the land of Palestine, bringing holiness and wholeness to sinners. 
His feet took him to the Sea of Galilee, where he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, to become fishers of men, whereby they might announce the good news of Jesus and turn sinners into saints. He went to the Decapolis, where the blind received their sight and the lame could walk, and they could walk again. Lepers were cleansed and the deaf became hearing people. And the dead were raised up, and the poor in spirit had the good news preached to them. He and the twelve walked the area of Tyre and Sidon, where he restored a young girl to wholeness by casting out the demon which had been tormenting her. And he takes another journey, and he's bound and determined to walk that path, the journey to Jerusalem. He knew exactly why he had come, so that God and sinners would be reconciled. And all this could only happen if satisfaction were made for sin, for your unholiness and my unholiness, for our wandering away from the Lord. And so here's what happened. He, the Holy One of God, is condemned so that you and me, the unholy ones, would be pardoned. He's brought low by rejection so that we could be lifted up. He's judged with the judgment condemning him to hell so that we might be spared. He's marked with suffering and pain. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities that we might be made whole. He descended into death so that we who are joined with him in holy baptism die to sin and are made alive with him because he rose from the dead. And so we live new lives. And this Jesus, who comes with his holy feet, and brings redemption, wholeness, forgiveness, and peace with God, still comes to you today with beautiful feet. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? Right? They won't do it. And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard of him? Impossible, right? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So if no one's telling the good news of Jesus, they don't. But then God sends preachers. That's what Paul writes How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I don't know what your background is, but mine is German. And you always hear all kinds of stories about German. Like, you know why they bury them 12 feet deep instead of six? Because down deep they're really good. But 
I got to tell you, there, there might be a reason why I'm here today. There's a reason I, why I call upon Jesus. Because there was this beautiful Christian missionary from England named Boniface who traveled to Germany in the 8th century and preached the good news. Later he was called the apostle to the Germans. He worked tirelessly in bringing the gospel to my ancestors and that flowed down during the course of history and his work ended up touching my heart. I just, I'm amazed at that. I'm humbled by it. It almost brings me to tears. But it brings to bear to mind this truth. The Lord wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so he sends. He sends preachers. He sends teachers who told me the good news of Jesus and so also for you. So that what St. Paul would write is true. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christ, whose feet were wounded for you and for me. For because of the one who is with wounded feet, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.